This is totally off the topic of video news releases, but this is just a funny story about the prom. When I went to the prom, <laughs> the guy was so nervous putting the corsage on. It wasn't even the one with a pin. It was just a wrist one. He was shaking so much, he dropped the corsage. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say he, you know, poked you with the No, it was just a wrist one. You just slide it in. Well, that's good. Oh, you were my safe. God. I'm sorry. We need to go back to Craig and how wonderful he is in my life. No, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's just move on. I didn't mean Luckily, we can edit this for the podcast. This is the kind of stuff Chris always keeps on for the podcast, exactly. though. Exactly. Yeah. He always yeah. keeps on. I don't know what even we're moving on to. Do we have another? Oh, oh we're going to Noam Chomsky? That's what I'm saying. Let's get to go the good stuff. It's all been this good, is... but come on. This Noam is... Chomsky. We've we, been waiting for this. I don't know what kind of introduction music we can have for this, but I just want everybody to know I talked to Craig Newmark and Noam Chomsky in the same day. Okay. <laughs> Not too shabby. Like two men that have changed my life and the lives of so many people. It's awesome. Craig, Colin, wrap it up. I mean, stop talking. <laughs> Professor Chomsky? Yeah, speaking. This is Irene from No One's Listening. Okay. But in honor of your appearance on our show, we're calling it Gnome's Listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's nice. So our show today is about video news releases. Or and video news? Video news releases and fake yeah. news. Well, I'd, I imagine you probably don't have much time to watch a lot of TV since you've written 90 books. But I think, actually, the reason I think you are good for this show is because you can sort of give a historical analysis for what's going on in the print media. There was a period in the mid-19th century. Uh, that's the period of the freest press in both England and the U.S. And it's quite interesting to look back at it. Uh, over the, you know, it's not time to go through the whole history, but over the years, that's declined. It declined for two basic reasons. Uh, one reason is the... Uh, increased capital that was required to run a competitive press, you know, with a lot of glitz and uh, popular appeal and so on. And as capital requirements increased, uh, that, of course, led to a more corporatized media. Right. Uh, the other effect is advertising. Uh, in the 19th century, the United States had something kind of approximating a, a market, market system. Now we have nothing like a market that they may teach it in economics courses, but that's not the way it works. Uh, and one of the signs of the decline of the market is advertising. Right. So if you have a, a real market, uh, you don't advertise. You just give information. So, for example, there are corners of the economy that do run like markets. For example, the stock market is a market. If you have 10 shares of General Motors you want to sell, you don't put up an ad on television with a, a you know, a sexy model uh, holding up the ten shares, uh, saying, you know, ask your broker if this is good for you, it's good for me, or something like that. Uh, what you do is you sell them at the market price. Right. If we had a market for, say, cars or toothpaste or whatever, 
lifestyle drugs. You do the same thing. I mean, GM would put up a brief notice saying, here's the information about our models. Well, you, you've seen television ads, so I don't have to tell you how it works. One or two. Yeah. The idea is to delude and deceive people with imagery. That's um, where I learned about you. Right. I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> well, look, it's true. We all, and everybody knows it. We may not think about it, but we know it. Uh, so, and the same has happened to the print media. I mean, by now there's, uh, take the New York Times, for example, they have something called the news hole. Uh, when the editors you know, lay out tomorrow's newspaper, first thing they do is the important things. They put the ads around. And then they have a little bit left that's called the news hole. And you sort of stick in things there. Uh, and quite apart from that, the media themselves are just big corporations. So, of course, they right. represent the interests of their owners, their uh, market, which is advertisers. And the uh, for the elite newspapers, the more or less the managerial class, educated population they deal with. And the end result is you get a very narrow uh, uh, perspective on what uh, What's new. the world is like. But then what would be the alternative? I mean, I guess that's where I'm searching. It would be a free press. And it's, you know, it's not, not hard to imagine. There actually was one in the mid-19th century. Uh, so that would mean uh, a press that is not reliant on, a corporate, on massive capital concentrations, corporate ownership, uh, that is uh, not reliant on... Uh, advertising for its uh, revenue, and that would involve uh, engaged people who are interested in uh, understanding the world and participating in uh, reasoned discussion about what it should be like. Right. I mean, that's not inconceivable. Right. Uh, I mean, it's actually crazy. I don't know if you know how these video news releases work. There's actually PR agencies that, I mean, they don't even try to be... uh, covert about it. No, it's quite open. They'll they'll be called VNR PR agency. (laughs) I mean, it's it's very open. Anybody who's looked, I mean, take, say, television. Uh, In the industry, when they have an hour program, whatever it is, a comedy, a cop show or whatever, uh, in the industry, there's what's called content and fill. Right. The content is the advertising. The fill is the car chase or the, you know, sex scene or something. No. It's supposed to keep you going between ads. And if you look at a television program, actually I do it sometimes because I'm intrigued, the creativity and the imagination and the expenses and so on are for the ads. Uh, the car chase you can pull off the shelf. Unbelievable. And, in fact, uh, this has led to a, a, ver- a serious deterioration of the political system. I mean, we don't have anything even resembling a democracy anymore. Take a look at the last campaign. Uh, The campaign is run by the same people who sell toothpaste, and exactly the same PR agencies. And when they sell a candidate, they do it the same way as when they sell, uh, you know, a lifestyle drug. You don't put up information about the candidate. What you do is create deluding uh, imageries, images to delude and deceive. Right. Well, the population knows it, you know, so a very small number of the population, about 10% of the voters, literally, uh, knew the stance of the candidates on issues. And it's not because right. they're stupid or uninterested. It's be- just like you don't know the characteristics of toothpaste. 
Well, it's a one-way mediated relationship, and hopefully that's what this show is about. We talk about media and media ethics, and it's not always related to politics. I mean, it's related to entertainment and everything, because hopefully we can change that and people can start questioning their relationship. There's really two separate questions about the media, which are usually muddled. Uh, One is what they're trying to do, and a second one is what's the effect on the public. That's a different thing. The effect on the public isn't very much studied, but to the extent that it has been, it seems that uh, among the more educated sectors, uh, the indoctrination works more effectively. Uh, Among less educated sectors, people are just more skeptical and cynical. Right. So what can we do, because now I'm depressed. (laughs) Well, look, we're, we're a lot of... I think it's a very optimistic future, frankly. Oh, really? Yes. You wrote 90 books. Look, very much so. I mean, just take, this is, there's something we know about the country, this country, more than any other. Uh We know a lot about public opinion. It's studied very intensively. That it's fickle? are very (laughs) rarely reported. Right. You can find them. It's an open society. You can find them. What they show is remarkable. What they show, first of all, is that both political parties and the media are far to the right of the general population on a whole host of issues, uh, and the population is just, you know, disorganized, atomized, and so on. This country ought to be an organizer's paradise. And the, uh, that's why the media and the campaigns keep away from issues. They know that on issues, they're going to lose people. Uh, so therefore, you have to have... Uh, you know, you portray George Bush as a, uh, I mean, look, he's a pampered kid who uh, came from a rich family, went to prep school, an elite university, and you have to present him as an ordinary guy, you know, who makes grammatical errors, which I'm sure he's trained to make. He didn't talk that way at Yale. And the uh, fake Texas twang, and it's off to his ranch, you know, to cut brush or something. Right, to go uh, fishing. That's that's like a toothpaste ad. Right. That's uh, and I think a lot of people know it. Uh, and and uh, what we uh, and g- given the facts about public opinion, it means what's needed is uh, something you know, not very radical. Uh, let's become as democratic as, uh, say, the second largest country in the hemisphere, Brazil. I mean, their last election was not between two rich kids uh, who went to the same elite university and join the same secret society uh, where they're trained to be members of the upper class and can get into politics because they have uh, rich families with a lot of connections. I mean, people were actually able to vote, elect a president from their own ranks. Right. A man who was a peasant uh, union leader and never had a higher education uh, uh, and you know, comes from the population. They could do it because it's a functioning democratic society. It's a tremendous obstacle, you know repressive state, huge concentration of wealth, uh, much worse obstacles than we have. But they have mass popular movements. Uh, They have actual political parties, which we don't have. Uh, There's nothing to stop us from doing that. I mean, we have a legacy of uh, freedom, which is unparalleled. It's been won by struggle over centuries, never given. And you can use it, or you can abandon it. That's a choice. But don't you think to some extent, maybe people don't even realize their own discontent because of the media? No, I think people are very discontented, and the 
attitudes towards the media are very cynical and skeptical. Well, the attitudes towards the media, but because we're not banding together, they almost feel that sort of detachment. They don't know where to get angry or who to band with. That's true, yeah. But that's, again, the lack of democratic structures. Right. I mean, if you have popular movements, and that's what you, what, why are unions so detested by elites? Because unions are one of the few ways in which, you know, un, people without great privilege, working people, can actually get together uh, for a worker's education, for interaction, for participation in the political arena, and so on. So therefore, they have to be destroyed. Uh, no, you know, and there's many others. You know, we can, it's true, it's a very atomized society. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, the United States has gone through, the last 25 years, when it's gotten much worse, uh, the U.S. has gone through a unique period of economic history. Uh, real wages uh, for the majority of the population have stagnated or declined. Yeah. Uh, working hours have gone way up. Way up. They are now the, about the highest in the industrial world. Wages are about the lowest. Uh, just in, and, and people are... Yeah, from infancy. You know, I watch children's television with my grandchildren sometimes. You know, from practically infancy, you are deluged with propaganda about how your life depends, your value as a human being depends on how many useless commodities you have. A product, yeah. So, uh, you know, and so you have a working family, you know, husband, wife, uh, working to keep food on the table. Uh, their kids want to buy everything there is, uh, so even though they don't need it or want it. Then you go deeply into debt, and you know, then you, and you're trapped, and then you don't have time to talk to people. You don't know what your neighbors think. Uh, popular attitudes are just not reported. Uh, sometimes it's fantastic. So after the federal budget came out last February, uh, the major public opinion institute in the country did a careful poll of people's attitudes toward the budget. Well, it was just like about a mirror image of what the budget was. Where expenses, where federal spending is going up, you know, military, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, people wanted to go down, Mm -hmm. large majorities. Where it's going down, same large majorities, people wanted to go up. Uh, Social spending, you know, education, uh, renewable energy, uh, support for the United Nations, and so on. A huge majority wants to rescind Bush's tax cuts for the rich, people over $200,000 income, and so on. Uh, well, how was that reported? Well, actually, somebody, friend, did a database search on it. Zero. Really? Not one newspaper in the country. So you know, what's going on? Town in, in, in Iowa. Are they scared? Are these? Because I, I mean, I've interviewed some journalists for the show, and uh. look, they just have internalized the values. They're not. They'll tell you, and they're correct, that nobody is ordering them to do anything. That's right. Nobody's ordering them to do it. That's what they the said. The indoctrination is so deep right. that educated people think they're being objective. Actually, this is a point that Orwell made. I mean, you and everybody else has read Animal Farm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But you and everybody else hasn't read the introduction to Animal Farm. There's a good reason for that. It was suppressed. Uh, the introduction for it was found 30 years later in Orwell's unpublished papers. Uh, the introduction to Animal Farm says basically, look, this book is a satire on a totalitarian state, uh, you know, just an enemy. But he said, but he said, I'm going to talk about England, free England. 
Hmm. He said as well, in free England, it's not that different uh, without state coercion. He said unpopular ideas can be suppressed and are. And then he described how. Didn't go into much detail, but he said partly it's the fact it's the result of the fact that the press is owned by wealthy men who have every reason not to want certain ideas to be expressed. But the more important reason, he said, is a good education. By the time you've gone through, you know, Oxford and Cambridge and here we could say Harvard and Princeton and so on, or even, you know, less fancy places, you have instilled into you the understanding that there are certain things it just wouldn't do to say. That's absolutely true. And that's what a good deal of education is. So the people who come out of it, and there are many filters, you know, like if it, people try to go off, become too critical, uh, there are many ways of discouraging them or eliminating them or one way or another. Uh, some get through, and, you know, that's not a uniform story. There are plenty of journalists with integrity and honesty, and many of them, some are personal friends, will uh, give a much harsher picture of the media than I do because they've actually had to live with it. But the basic points that Orwell made are, I think, fundamentally correct. You're, the more educated you are, the more indoctrinated you are, and you believe that you're being free and objective, whereas in fact you're just repeating state propaganda. Well, and I, I mean, do, I, I feel like one of the things with academic readings is we can trace the source. Somebody will make a quote, and we can trace and find that out. So, for example, but, you can trace what I just said about popular attitudes toward the budget. Right. But the point is you have to do an individual research. Exactly. And who's going to do that? For every newspaper article you read. I mean, and if some, some guy comes home from, you know, a 50-hour week, his wife's working 50 hours, you know, the kids are demanding this and that, is he going to have time to carry out an individual research project? Certainly not if he has a puppy dog, too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that's what popular associations are for. When you have unions, political parties, uh, you know, women's group, whatever it may be, that people can get together and do those things. Individuals can't do it. Well, that's what we're going to try to do. That's what we're doing here at No One's Listening. We're getting people to talk because um, I, I think that's one of the problems with the media. You talked about filters and what makes it through the filter. The truth of the matter is that NPR is not that different. So I listen to NPR when I'm driving Right. As long as I can stand it, that's supposed to be the liberal media. Oh, right. And you just take a look at their reporting. So, for example, last night I was listening to the reporting on uh, Bush's speech about, you know, how to get victory in Iraq. Uh, just imagine, do an experiment, a thought experiment. Suppose you were in Russia, uh, in, you know, under uh, Brezhnev, you know, or, or let's say in the early 80s, you're in Russia, and you heard reports about uh, the war in Afghanistan. Well, I'm sure it would have been the same thing. They would have discussed how can we get victory, how can we destroy the terrorists, uh, you know, will this tactic work, will that tactic work, we're losing too many soldiers and so on. Yeah, just like the most liberal journal in the United States. Did anybody ask the question in Russia, do we have a right to invade another country? No. Uh, yeah. Does anybody, can you imagine anyone asking no. the question here? No, no. But in Russia, there's a difference. That was totalitarian control. You know, you said the wrong thing, you go off to the gulag. Uh, here, it's just uh, it's just willing subordination to power. Well, I, I think it's because what makes it through the filter is the only thing people see, and so they don't, they, 
latch onto that and don't even know to question other things around it. It's it's indoctrination so profound that educated people can't even understand the question that I just raised. I mean, try, try it with journalists. Ask, can there be journalism, say, about the Iraq war, which is something different than a you know, a college newspaper cheering for the home team. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yes, there can't be, because they can't think of it. It's like Orwell said, you just inculcated into you that there are certain things it wouldn't do to think. Right. But there are ways, I mean, that's what's so exciting right now with the media and with, for instance, no one's listening, we have a huge online following um, we're international. People are banding together, and I think that's what's really exciting about the Internet. And there's plenty of opportunities. And the opportunities. Yeah, we're going to talk to Craig from Craigslist. Yeah. Do you know what Craigslist is? <laughs> I, I don't. It's a, oh, okay. You know, I, I should make you tech-savvy here, Noam Chomsky. Okay. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to have to go off. i got another interview. Oh, Okay. Well, anyway, he's starting an independent media thing. I'll send you an email about it, but that's going to be really cool. It just got launched today. Oh, terrific. Yeah, so that'll be really exciting. Yeah. Um, but thank you so okay. much Good for doing talk. this interview, and I'll keep you updated, and if you have anything you're working on or want to talk about, okay. please let me know. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Right. Bye. Well, no one's listening. Are you kidding? guy's written 90 books. He has no time for TV. Like, how does he have time? I don't know who's calling. Time for what? I hope somebody's not listening to this right now. Is it Gary Ruskin from Commercial Alert? It is. Is this your Colin interview? Yeah. So I'm off the hook? Yeah. All right, you talk for a minute. Gary? Yeah. Hey, Gary, it's Irene from No One's Listening. Hey, Irene, how are you? Thanks for calling in. So, Commercial Alert, it's commercialalert.org. Correct. Okay, just so our listeners know. And what is Commercial Alert? It's a nonprofit organization that protects children and communities from commercialism. Well, I mean, not like a superhero protects. You regu- you, you, you're a watchdog group, right? Yeah, we're, so you we're, make we're a sure... watchdog group. We're, we're you know, an activist. So how do you protect us? Like, you make sure that there's not um, a constant bombardment well, of we products? Well, research, lobbying, litigation, organizing, um, reports, emails, basically whatever it takes. Uh-huh. So, um, like, give me an example. Uh, a couple of days ago, we found out that uh, the National Park Service is trying to... Um, uh, allow itself to be sponsored by corporations and then to let itself be used in ads, say, by ExxonMobil or someone like that. Uh-huh. Um, so what we did was we, you know, did the legal work to figure out that this was so. And uh, we are uh, generating thousands of emails to the National Park Service saying, don't do this. Hmm. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. So do you think emails work as well as letters? Well, um, I think it's uh, different in different situations. I think um, that um, when, for example, in this case of uh, an executive branch agency asking for public comment, um, e- emails are the appropriate way because that's actually what, they, what they're saying they want. Um, I think in general, uh, the form of communication matters less than 
um, the amount of effort that was put into it. And so the people just take much more seriously uh, uh, communications, whether they're uh, on the phone or emails or letters that are well-researched and well-thought-through and well-written. So when was this organization founded? Well, we were founded in 1997. Ralph Nader and I founded it. Oh, good for you. And so as far as this goes, um, because you know one of my pet peeves, and I've talked about it so our listeners know too, is Channel One. Yeah. The news program, for those of you that don't know, it's sent to high schools, and high schools get free televisions um, throughout their district. It's not exactly true. That their televisions are loaned. They're not free. Well, they're loaned as long as they play the Channel One. Correct. So they get the equipment. But they have to play the Channel One news program every morning. Uh, well, it's or, sometime during the school day, yes. Right. And how long is the program? Uh, the program is, is about 12 minutes, a little bit longer, and it's shown to uh, uh, about 7.7 uh, million uh, teens in about 11,500 uh, middle and high schools across the United States every school day. Uh-huh. And teens are not little adults. If they were little adults, they'd be out of their house being adults. That's, that's exactly right. They're there. minds that are still shaped and being molded, and that's what I think is dangerous because I think the, um, they've gotten in trouble a lot for product placement and um, more fake news, things that come from like Singular One, and the news reporter will talk about it. Or Well, there's, you know, it's basically forced watching of uh, at least two minutes of ads plus uh, other commercial content and product placements. Uh, for 7.7 uh, million uh, teens uh, every school day. And these are teens who may not understand um, how, you know, product placements work and, um, and the wily ways of advertising. Right. And uh, they may understand, like, this commercial at the end, this is a commercial, but there's no media literacy in schools right now. There's no programs. Well, um, or rare. Ironically, there's very little, and, and uh, one of the major players in quote-unquote media literacy is Channel One, who has aggressively <laughs> pushed its, its media literacy curriculum in the schools. And you, you better believe that their curriculum isn't very tough on, on, uh, on itself. Well, absolutely. And, and, and I think the, the danger with something like a Channel One is that parents don't know because parents aren't watching it. Nobody has it. Well, I mean, you can get it online. You can get it that way, but Channel One is not a news that is played on television. We have 300 cable stations. They're not making an effort to get on one of those. It's almost like they want to fly under the radar. Well, they do. I mean, that's the, the reason why it, it continues to exist is, is that it's a stealth channel. It, it, only, it, it basically uh, gets admitted into the schools, and then there's an automatic contractual rollover and almost nobody knows it's there except for the students and the, and, and the teachers. And yeah. uh, consequently, no, you know, nobody, uh, it's uh, unusual for parents really to find out about it. And, and so they don't, for example, they don't know that this is a misuse of the compulsory attendance laws to, to compel uh, students to watch commercial advertising, that it wastes school time. I mean, we're talking about a waste of a full uh a full school day every school year on just watching the ads, which is amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. So what kind of things are, um, how do you guys work when it comes to video news releases and fake news reports? Do you work with that as well? 
Well, we, we work on a wide variety of issues with respect to defending the advertising editorial line, which is to say that uh, it should be clear what is an ad and it should be clear what is news. Um, and so, for example, um, we, we work a lot on, on um, trying to stop um, the deployment of undisclosed commercial propaganda in, in, uh, on TV and in other media as well. Um, so, for example, um, uh, one of the things that's happening right now is a number of Gannett-owned TV stations are changing their morning talk shows to a format where um, advertisers are allowed to pay uh, 2000 or $2,500 no. for segments. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, and, and um, you know, so this is now the new morning talk show, you know, format in um, – you know, in Minneapolis, in Denver, Cleveland, Atlanta, Sacramento. Wait, you're kidding me. So they pay the money so that they can guarantee that what happens? That well, basically... So-and-so uh, picks up a water that is, you know... Well, it's like, it's like an infomercial cut into the, into the morning programming. Ugh. And part of what people need to understand is this is part of what's happening is the infomercial industry is converging with the TV industry. And so as, as, as there are more and more TV stations and more and more people are watching, you know, all sorts of different stations are not watching at all, the TV industry gets more and more desperate and they need more and more, you know, money from other sources just to stay alive. And so part of the way that they're trying to stay alive is by turning as many things as possible into infomercials. And mm -hmm. so that's why... For example, you know, programs like American Idol and The Apprentice are, are basically infomercials. Uh, and so this is, this is why structurally we're seeing the TV industry converge with the infomercial industry. You're right. Right. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, it is interesting. I mean, I, I oftentimes wonder, um, people think when you, you become a celebrity and you have your freedom and you... Uh, could potentially have a voice, how many of them use that voice and that opportunity to advertise for Pepsi or Sprite. <laughs> you know, like Michael Jordan. I don't think it was drinking 7-Up. <laughs> well, it's true. And, you know, what's, it's what's not the Gatorade they're sweating. <laughs> how, many, how many sell out for products and how few um, have the integrity to say, no, I'm, you know, I'm not for sale. I mean... You know, to me, it's really I, bizarre. Well, it is. I mean, one of the problems is, of course, that they don't get much criticism for selling out. You know, I mean, one of my heroes has always been Neil Young because Neil Young says, you know, my songs are for you, and they're not for anyone else, and they're not for selling. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I think we need to, when we're deciding who, you know, we're going to buy albums from, uh, you know, we should decide whether or not they're, you know, we should take into account whether or not they're for sale. And, you know, it's it's also one thing, I mean, it's not to say artists shouldn't make money, or, I mean, it's not to deny the system we're in, um, the reason television and newspapers and the reason we have access to these things at a lower cost is because of commercials. Otherwise, the barrier to entry to watch would be so expensive. Absolutely. I mean, we're not against advertising or marketing per se. We accept it as part of the circus of American life. But at the same time, 
what we're seeing is is uh, a creep of advertising into every nook and cranny of our lives and culture that increasingly advertisers understand that they're very unpopular now. For, for example, there was a poll last year that 60, said that 65% of Americans uh, want more limits and regulations on advertising and marketing. And so their response is to try to come up with ways to force you to watch ads. And so Channel One is a good example of that, and so is ad, pre-movie ads in the movie theater. But also what you're talking about as well is another example, ads on ATMs, um, gas pumps, uh, and there's a wide variety of these new kinds of ads that you, that they're basically forcing you to watch. Increasingly, uh, mass transit systems are adopting these sorts of uh, video uh, courses. Yes. Screens. And you can't get, or the elevators now. Elevators. That was like the right. big thing when elevators came out with little TVs, so you watch it going up. Right. You that's, all watch TV. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I think we should have a choice. You know, we ought to have the right to be let alone if we, if we want it. And so I think that's, that's ultimately the answer, is to, is to demand the right to be let alone. Um, you know, we have a right to be let alone uh, within, uh, to some extent within the privacy realm, and this is just another form of privacy. It's a privacy of our own minds and to be able to use our own faculties as we see fit. But you're right, especially with respect to children, this is a very serious issue because American children are suffering from an epidemic of marketing-related diseases like obesity, type 2 diabetes, uh, problem pathological gambling, alcoholism, and millions of kids are going to die from the marketing of tobacco when they get older. This is a national tragedy and a national public health emergency. Right. There's extensive psychological literature on this that shows that children under 8 and really under 12 just simply don't have the the, um, the intellectual capacity or experience to understand advertising. But, you know, it's even true for a lot of adults that they don't understand. I mean, when you have... That's, yeah. I mean, when you... People don't understand it. It's like, uh, you know, there are psychology PhDs who are, among others, who are making these ads. I mean, these are... They're extremely sophisticated, complex ads, to, you know, designed to... Uh, motivate people to want products and it's not just a simple thing and it, it's like a complex psychological tool you know being brought to bear on a six-year-old and, and it's just a totally uh, you know a, a, a mismatch of resources and of course the kids can't figure it out and they can't, of course they can't defend themselves right even parents who are really diligent about trying to make sure that their kids don't grow up corporate it's real, really hard for them to, to screen out even most of the messages because uh, the advertisers have very consciously, and they talk about this in their own conferences, have consciously tried to surround kids with ads, even, even um, ads um, uh, that uh, plenty of ads are not under control of the parents. For example, you know, again, we go back to Channel One where you know, parents can't really stop kids from watching Channel One in schools because it's part of their school day. Right. And teachers can't. Because the district made a decision because of money or for whatever. Listen, we have to wrap it up, but I totally, um, I, I want to put a link to you guys up on your site. And I think we should stay in contact. And if you have anything or um, ideas and in the future or things you want to talk about, totally please let us know here at No One's Listening, Gary. All right, that sounds good. Because we listen, and I like what you're doing, and I think it's fabulous. All right, well, thank you for your kind words. Oh, yeah, right. no, it's great. And, uh... T check us out. Have you checked it out? No one's listening. Yeah, sure org. Oh, good. Looks, looks good. Keep up the good work. Okay, so now um, 
That, he was a really good interview. I really like Gary. He has a lot of good things to say. He was excellent. I knew I found out about him because he was um, visiting San Francisco. And so I said, oh, you know, I like your organization. You mean like he was walking down the street as a tourist? and you- <laughs> Yeah, and then I attacked him. Where I, did I, you meet him in San Francisco? He said, ma'am, do you know you have an advertisement for Coca-Cola on your leg? And I said, I do. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. I think it's time for our special report. It is time. A roving rock star. Hello? Hello. Holy cow. You're the hey, f- I want to tell you something. Before you interview Chomsky, i got to warn you, don't call him Norm. It's gnome like foam. Please remember that. I know. I know his name. But when people are you interviewing do... him? We already did it. Oh, my. Don't tell me you called him Norm. I didn't call him Norm. Why would you think I called him Norm? Oh, I don't know. Just thought I'd be funny. I, I know everybody, you know, um, I had a whole bunch of people um, talk to me about him. And they're yeah. like, I think that's so great you have Norm on the show. And I, isn't, like, Norm a character in Cheers or something? I was like, yeah. who's Norm? I don't have anybody named Norm. <laughs> um, so where well, are you reporting from, Steve? I am reporting from beautiful Oakland, California, where it is sunny and cool. My favorite weather. Wait, where in Oakland? What am I, what's that? Where in Oakland? Like, it's not fun if you just say, you have to street, say, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm at the mall. I'm on a street called Broadway and every, Oceanview. There's always a Broadway. Every city has a Broadway. Every city has a main street. I'm hanging out with a really interesting guy named Gary Williams. And I, you know what he does for a living? What? He builds drums. Did you <laughs> see we were featured on iTunes this week? Is that, I saw that. That's amazing. You put a lot of asses in those seats, Irene, I tell you. You know, well, we, we got letters from people all over the world, Steve, this week. That's amazing. Anybody and write th- to me in a different language? No, but, you you know, you're written up in the Chronicle this Sunday. Oh, good. We're featured in the Chronicle, Ben Fontoris' uh, section. Well, that's... that's I'm I got a sneak peek. You got a sneak peek? I got a sneak peek. What do you say about you and me? You're going to have to wait. Uh, Everybody, you're going to have to buy the Chronicle. All right, never mind that. What do you say about me? Uh, you were going to have to wait. Thing that happens with video news releases. Hello, Steve? Steve? Uh, <laughs> Steve got cut off. No one's listening is off air. Wouldn't that be funny? We just got cut off and we're oh, off air. Yeah, like it's one and then that's it. So next week is there going to be our final show for, uh, and then we're taking a few weeks off for the Christmas holidays, so they the Jewish holidays, the and studio. Kwanzaa. And there was a time to read the. Oh my God! No one's listening oh. is produced at KSS. KSFS San Francisco State University. This show features Irene McGee, Sky Christensen, Melissa Burnell, and Steve Bowman. It's produced by Chris Cornell, and the audio engineer is Mr. Colin White.